Kareem, I know you're going to be happy to hear this, but I promise you I will make my first vote next year or next that election. makes me happy. Definitely vote. Whoever you believe in, vote. I, I've been very against it for most of my life. I have completely changed my tune these last couple of years. And, You're uh, like, oh, so this is what yeah, happens think, when people don't vote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you once again for tuning into the Friday flagship on the Crypto Basic Podcast. This episode is being released on July the 13th of 2018. I am Michael Lockie, and I'll be joined on this episode by Brent Philbin. Hey, hey, that's me. And Kareem Baruke. And that is Joe, or me, or Xiang Zhu. <laughs> Just a reminder, our Friday flagship is a weekly recording we launched to cover current events, news, and other, and other ways to help you wade through all the nonsense that gets tossed around in the cryptocurrency world. So let's get started, shall we, gentlemen? Indeed. Uh, is there a... Is there an announcement that Brent is dying to make? Yeah, Brent. Is there an announcement that you're dying to make that we forgot to do last week? Yeah, well, we did absolutely forget last week to announce our winner of the uh, monthly contest. It was Mulligan Mike. He was our first non-founding member that won. So in addition to being able to pick one of our episodes, he became a founding member. And he is he's chosen a topic of... Wait, Brent. Um, time out. I have a question for you. How did Mulligan Mike win? Like, what did he do to win? How did he become a founding member? I, I feel like I missed that part. Uh, he was on Team Kareem. Oh! Well, Kareem, there's this portfolio competition that we did as a team. Okay. And everybody got to pick a team, one of our three teams. And since you had the best results for the month, yeah. then we randomly selected one of, okay, the, yeah. one of your team members to win either a shirt... A topic of their choice, and what was the third? They option? could ask we us were, a question. Oh, they could like ask us some questions. You know what, Mike? That does ring a bell. Now I remember. So right. he selected my team. My team won again for like the whatever, like every time. That's probably why we forgot because we've been winning so much. I just like want to congratulate everybody. Whoa, 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 Mike! No eye rolling. All right, all right. So I'm gonna eye roll whenever I feel like <laughs> it. <laughs> all right. So also important, Kareem is supposed to pick something embarrassing that the loser has to do which was mike but he couldn't come up with no anything. that is not poor guy that is not what happened here's what happened i decided totally unrelated to not being able to come up with an idea that i hate centralization so that i'm gonna bring it to my team <laughs> to help me come up with a good humiliation thing that we could do for mike we could either do something that he has to do on the next flagship or some picture that he has to put up let's just let's just embarrass mike here's a heads up it's really hard to embarrass Mike. Here's another heads up. It's not impractical jokers. We don't get paid millions of dollars. So, you know, don't tell him that he has to sk <laughs> skate down, you know, Fifth Avenue wearing a Speedo. And like, yeah, like, you know, let's embarrass him, but let's keep it manageable. I'm relinquishing my power and distributing it amongst the crypto basic family. Wow. Way to spin that. That, that was quite the spin job. Uh Let's get on to the current events section, though, Kareem. It uh, looks like you want to talk about an interview with Vitalik and TechCrunch. What happened? Yes, I do. Uh, real quick, before we move on, did you get to say what Mike wanted to do, or should we just surprise the audience with that, Brent, as far as Mulligan Mike's choice? Oh, uh, we'll, we'll tease it, because we're actually not sure where we're going with it, but he wanted to hear us discuss game theory. So Ooh. we are going to do one of those kind of open-ended episodes 
I promise we're not going to transport into the future. <laughs> we were going to do an episode. I got to admit, man, on that was one of our funnest to episodes to record. That future episode, we we had such a good time. Everybody really, really liked that. So kudos to yeah, you guys cool. for for helping create that. That was super, super cool. And and interestingly enough, I think game theory is a really cool topic as just a general learning point and you can use it to make a lot of decisions in your life so i think that's going to be a fun episode too absolutely couldn't agree more all right so mike you did lean into me as far as uh vitalik and centralization um so he did an interview with TechCrunch, and he kind of made some waves because he had a controversial statement but basically he started talking about centralization and cryptocurrency he mentioned how Back in 2013, when Ghash got really close to being able to have 51%, everybody freaked out, and then they you know, chose to step down a little bit, and now you have Bitmain becoming more and more uh, powerful, getting closer and closer to 51%, and that it seems like people are much more indifferent about it. Uh, but specifically, the quote that really, really sent waves and got people talking was they asked him about exchanges and Coinbase. And he said that, quote, I definitely hope that centralized exchanges go burn in hell as much as possible. And he, right. And he was particularly bothered by the idea that projects have to pay $10 million or $50 million just to get listed, which, look, I don't really know what the cost of getting an exchange, uh, a coin listed on exchange is, like the real cost to the exchange. But $10 million seems absolutely absurd. So something I want to add here real quick that I, f- I find particularly interesting every time we talk about Vitalik is because I have to mentally keep in the frame that he is actually like relevantly younger than I am. And there's very few situations in America where we're going to run into somebody in their 20s with as much power, intelligence, and responsibility to many people as Vitalik has. So when I see comments like this, it kind of reminds me of like when really popular athletes get cornered and they like say something really stupid and that they they probably don't regret it, but like they know it's not politically correct to say these kind of things. Like I just feel like it's so easy for someone like him to just to kind of blow off on the cusp and, and not really care about the repercussions about it. Yeah, no question about it. This is definitely one of those things where every little thing that somebody like this says is going to be scrutinized. And you know, any of us, if if any of us had every little word we said like just picked apart like this, we would all have instances of looking you know, terrible or, and of course people want to interpret it their own ways. And actually it's funny you mentioned Vitalik's power because uh, CZ, uh, the CEO of Binance actually addressed it in a response. Uh, He tweeted out that a bunch of people have been asking him how he feels about Vitalik's comments. And, you know, right off the bat, he started saying, well, we shouldn't wish each other to burn in hell and we should appreciate that we're part of a bigger ecosystem. As a quick side note, I don't think Vitalik was saying, I hope the people burn in hell. I mean, he's, he's clearly saying, I hope centralized exchanges disappear, you know? Well, more more along my point, and, and I know that this was more common with Brent and I maybe than you, for example, but we were very exaggerated individuals and like our storytelling, it just gets very broad and like, oh, I wish all exchanges would burn in hell. Like it's just like kind of a natural thing just that a young comment. men do. I, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bad way to get your point across that I've realized in life because what will happen is if you use something like that in an argument – 
it doesn't matter what your point is anymore. The person is just going to be like, oh, you told me to burn in hell, so your argument's invalid. Bingo. But I still fucking do stuff like that. Yeah, but people... Yeah, he, he definitely... Will always latch on to the most absurd or weakest part of your argument. That's why you always have to construct it so carefully. You know, there... Um, also, he mentioned that you know, and this is a fair point. CC mentions that without exchanges, we would have less liquidity, that we would have a lower market cap, crypto would have less influence, um, that we would have a smaller industry and therefore development would probably be slower because the de development teams would be smaller. And he actually said that he thinks it would be by like a 10x factor, that centralized exchanges have allowed crypto to grow by at least 10 tenfold. And this is the interesting part when you said about Vitalik, Mike. He argued that if you want to talk about centralization, that there's nobody in crypto right now that has more king-like powers than Vitalik himself, and that he uses the power. You know, he uses it when he becomes an advisor for certain ICOs, boosting them. Uh, you know, obviously his power has a, his word has a lot of influence. And then the last argument that CZ made, kind of defending centralized exchanges, is that, and I actually do agree with this point. Out of all the points he made, this is the one I agree with the most. He argued that a small step towards decentralization that is adopted by a billion people is more impactful than a giant step towards decentralization that is only adapted by a few dozen people. And of course, that makes sense. You know, and and lastly, Binance is working towards that decentralized exchange, right? I mean, I haven't heard about it in a while, but I know that that's something that is- It's a long-term process. Right. Um, just real quick, going back to your other point where you were discussing about the arguments and whatnot, like we should do an episode on Kareem breaking down how to argue with people. Cause that would be our best episode ever. <laughs> well, my summary um, of debating, by the way, is jujitsu. The best way to debate is jujitsu. Just focus. Is Brent still alive or is he, uh, frozen here? All right, so we just had some technical difficulties there. Um, unfortunately, our IT specialist crapped out. So, but we were talking Quite about uh, Vitalik, I think, right, Mike? Yes, we were, and I had made a a little bit of a joke that I would like Kareem to record in Arguments 101 so that he can help depict what types of arguments and how to make them because Brett could really use that lesson when he talks to Kareem about things. <laughs> <laughs> Any, well, anybody. I, I have a very abrasive way of arguing, and I I know I do that, but that doesn't make it easy to not do. So, so is, is there more we want to get into about Vitalik here? Well, there was one little extra story um, while we're on it. Uh, but first of all, Brent, I have a question for you. Do you know if Vitalik is happy? Oh, I think he might be. I think he might be. That, so, for those of you who are here, you're about to see... You know what? Those of you who are seeing this on YouTube are going to see something interesting here, I think. You know what? No, I'm not going to risk it. I'm not no. going to risk it. We're just going to hear Link it. in the show notes. Link is in the show notes. Link is in the show notes. So, here we go. You can... Like, imagine... Vitalik just doing this like very Vitalik By the way, thing. Just real quick, there, before you do it, happy. I want to give full credit to Lummy Flux for sharing this on our Discord a couple days ago. Lummy Flux, let me tell you something, my man. The second I saw this, it became my favorite thing on the planet. So I love you. And <laughs> for those of you that like it, I have good news for you. We will use it many, many times in the future. For those of you that don't like it, I have bad news for you because... This is like, <laughs> this is an official song of Crypto Basic now. 
Hit it, bro. Vitalik. Rapping. Vitalik. Impress. And the whole time you see Vitalik clapping. And clapping. And he's happy. Vitalik is He's so impressed. That is the most. So the ironic thing about that is that when I take a look at Vitalik, I don't see happy at no, all. That's why it was so awesome. I know. That's, that's the In the video, he is happy and he's clapping and smiling. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. Anyway, this is not a happy story, though. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know why you said a sharp right turn yeah. real quick. <laughs> so, actually, the, the extra Vitalik story is you guys know those Twitter bots that whenever like Vitalik or Charles Huskinson or somebody like that, or crypto candor tweets. Oh yeah, yeah. Anybody who's big time yeah, in yeah. crypto, like crypto candor, not not right. schmucks like us, you know. Right. It's never once yeah, happened. We to us don't as far have as I it know. Yet. We don't have it yet. <laughs> anyway, so these bots come in under which try to mimic the account. They post right under it, so it looks like the account is continuing a tweet. So Elon Musk tweeted out, "Quote: I want to know who is running the Ethereum scam bots, Mad Skills, just because they've been so uh, successful, right?" So I guess this really like hurt Vitalik or, you know, it was unfortunate because he sent out a tweet where he's like, I do wish that Elon Musk's first tweet about Ethereum was about the technology rather than the Twitter scam bots. And then he tags the CEO of Twitter at Jack, can you please help us or someone from the Ethereum community make a layer two scam filtering solution, please. And I do feel from this spot, like, I mean, they're getting ridiculous. I don't know if Twitter can even handle it, but it's just so bad and so much money's being made. These bots are so efficient. Whatever. I just thought it was worth adding on there that it's gotten bad enough that like Vitalik is publicly pleading with the CEO of Twitter. Can you please do something about this? You know how easy this would be? This would be as easy as the top comment on a post cannot have the same picture as the poster yeah like if the picture's the same it just gets deleted or filtered out or go to the bottom or something yeah done that's it because the picture being the same is what tricks them not it's not the username it's always the picture well in combination with the username that looks almost identical but you're right in the sense that changing the picture is it is it possible that twitter could allow any of the blue check marks to have exclusive photos is that possible it seems like it should be right yeah, but that's not fair to like the like Crypto Candor doesn't have a blue check mark. Uh, we don't have a blue you gotta check start mark. somewhere. Yeah, well, I just think that yeah, why listen, do these, you have to have the same picture as somebody else. Okay, but the scam bots are targeting the large authenticated accounts, like the ones that have these blue check marks. That's the purpose. These blue check marks are supposed to help filter these types of things out. But when the picture is the same, the title's the same, Mike, and they even try to get the t- context the same. I, I I don't mind the idea, but to to emphasize Brent's point. Charles Huskinson doesn't have a blue check mark. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of other things that should be fixed first along the way. But like, if we're talking about this conversation, this is how I know. But it. what I'm saying though is, if you can, get, like, you're saying you have to start somewhere. Fine, okay, that applies to our buddy Crypto Candor. But if you get to Charles's level and you don't have a blue check mark, then clearly that's not. Well, that's a different. That's a different complaint about Twitter. Like, yes, anybody with that much of a following should have the ability to go through the verification process necessary to earn that blue check mark. Also, on top of the picture, the name is always the same. 
So CZ Binance, their their at is not the same. Their username is not the same, but the display name is always the same. So same picture or same display name can't be can't be part of a comment string. Boom, done. Yeah, I, I like that solution actually, Brent. Like I don't know how easy that is to code, but oh, for sure, it sounds like a nightmare. But what are you talking about? They're way a, smarter than we are. A comma here, it's FRT. Coding's not that hard. In bracket, yeah. we're good. Comma fart. Comma fart is the, <laughs> the specific thing that Kareem has put into the code. <laughs> that sounds like something I would program. Yeah, no kidding. All right, Brent, I know that you've talked a lot about Augur over the years, or the months at least, and it appears you have some news. What has happened here? I just think it's interesting to note that Augur finally launched. So they have been in beta for a very long time. They were basically one of the first ICOs, if not the first, depending on your definition. If your definition is ICO is started to launch after Ethereum existed, then they're the first ICO. So they were the first one to do an initial coin offering on Ethereum as a dApp. They're a prediction market similar to Predict It or similar to a sports book. So they have shares that you can buy of the different bets, kind of like, is this going to happen? Yes or no? And one of the things that I'm just going to throw out a couple of these. One of them is Ethereum based. That market. Now, one of the things that exists in life is it is very likely that a group of people are able to predict events with reasonable amount of accuracy. Not great, but a, gr- a large group of people is much better than an individual person at trying to predict things. It has an 85% probability that Ethereum will be above $500 by the end of 2018. That means there's a 15% chance, according to the Augur Swarm, that it's not interesting. And before you get too excited, though, the Augur prediction market currently has Trump getting a second term at 42%. So that's... If that's an accurate number, that's scary. Yeah, so. but I mean, I, right. I don't think it's terrible think in it a two-party system, though. You know what I'm saying? That's basically saying that in a coin flip scenario, this guy has, you know, like, it's just tough. There's only, there's only going to be two options, unfortunately. So, you know, a 42% is not that high either for an incumbent. Yeah, I think at, at first I, would, I thought that was higher than it should be. But I mean, I don't think so. Guys. Him being 40% against a 58%er, that seems pretty accurate. That, that, just, you just have to think about it as an incumbency, right? Incumbent presidents have a huge well, advantage. Yeah. Anything less than 50% is very low. Right. Mm. I also find that every like four Novembers that go by, when, you look, when I look at the results, it always shocks me how close the results are. Most of them are won by less than a 58%. So like... This actually seems like pretty poor chance for him overall. And uh, Brent, this does remind me. I don't. It, I don't remember if it was called Wisdom of the Crowds or whatever it was called. But there was like a like an experiment. This was this was deciphered first by I think it was like a British mathematician or something. But it was explaining that like if you have a contest at a fair, and when he originally did it, I think they were trying to guess the weight of a cow or the weight of a bull. And if you take any one person's guess, they're pretty random. But if you have a large group of people guessing and you take the average of their guess, it's like really close to the actual number, which is interesting. Mm. And the way I always interpreted that is that the error rates that humans have probably distribute in both directions. Like for every person that overestimates, there's somebody who underestimates by a similar percentage. I don't know. It's interesting. But I mean, these are kind of, these numbers are kind of cool because if 42% of the people think he's going to get reelected and 58% don't, well, then if you make a large enough sample of people polling that, well, that number is going to become really accurate. And that just on 
because that's their votes also. The people that are helping make these predictions are also, also the ones casting the votes. So yeah, but you know what? Makes sense that, to me. That's also, um, it's just worth noting that like one of the mistakes that a lot of uh, polling and stuff like that do is they'll, for example, ask, oh, what's well, the favorability rating, right? And when you ask people what the favorability rating is, you're asking everybody. So a lot of people that don't vote will say, oh, I think he's a clown, but they don't vote. Yeah. So... That's not necessarily representative of the actual voting population. It's not representative of the electoral college, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Kareem, I know you're going to be happy to hear this, but I promise you I will make my first vote next year or next that election. makes me happy. Definitely vote. Whoever you believe in, vote. I, I've been very against it for most of my life. I have completely changed my tune these last couple of years. And, You're uh, like, oh, so this is what yeah, happens think, when people don't vote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, I take personal partial responsibility for my efforts thus far, and I will change that going forward. <laughs> so, Brent, uh, there was a hack on a Bancor exchange. Um, what kind of details do you have here? So, Bancor is a decentralized exchange. It's kind of the like, go-to decentralized exchange for other decentralized exchanges deciding how they're going to do things. And they were hacked and had funds stolen, which... Off the top of my head, didn't make any sense, right? They're a decentralized exchange. How do they get hacked? That's kind of the fucking point, right? Well, apparently the way Bancor does things is certain people hold a lot of coins there to be liquidity nodes so that you can go through them and in the end get peer-to-peer decentralized trades without going through Bancor, but really you're kind of going through these other people who have a lot of the coins, right? So they got away with somewhere around 2,600 Ethereum. And they also managed to compromise a giant pool of actual Bancor tokens. But Bancor has the ability to freeze their tokens and they froze them. So this decentralized decentralized exchange, exchange. Yeah. Yeah. This decentralized exchange has the ability to freeze its own tokens and... Whatever, I guess it kind of worked out here with stopping the hack, but there's nothing decentralized about that at all. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, we're like, yay, you guys stopped the hack. Wait, who had the power to freeze the what? Decentralized how? (laughs) Well, it's one thing if they're like, it's one thing Binance should be able to freeze Binance coin. I see no arguments there, but if they're going to. They're centralized, though. If, if If this is a decentralized exchange, my question is, who made the decision to freeze the coins? It's weird when it comes to their own native tokens. Like a decentralized exchange, to me, my vision is I if if I'm going to have... I don't know anything about Bancor, so I don't want to necessarily dis- this is theoretical. Uh, disrepresent yeah. them. Theoretically, if I have a token, a mic token, and I want to run a decentralized exchange, and I have 10 pairs with mic tokens, and then other people connect to my decentralized exchange, and they can trade you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin for my mic tokens back and forth to each other... And I could see a scenario where it makes sense to like be able to protect my mic tokens, but maybe not have access to the wallets, the accounts of everybody connecting to me. But I, like, I don't know where to draw these lines. We've talked about this. The, the line in the sand between decentralization and centralization, it makes sense the larger the company grows to be decentralized, but these small companies are just getting ravaged trying to be decentralized right, as well. Right, but I think we have to distinguish between two things. One thing is whether or not centralization makes sense in certain cases. And I think that in, in that perspective, your point is completely valid, right? Like, And it's, it's one of the points that CC was making to Vitalik. Like, hey, centralized exchanges are playing a pivotal role. But the question here is, 
If you are decentralized, who had the power to make that decision? I'll put it to you another way. If somebody wanted to freeze Bitcoin, who could do it? And the answer right now is nobody. Nobody could do it if they wanted to. The fact that somebody could freeze the Bancor tokens is indicative that they weren't decentralized. That's more or less the point here. No, I'm not arguing that, but it's... I don't know that it's bad to have that option either. It's just kind of complicated. I don't know that it's bad to have that option, but you're just not a decentralized exchange at that point. Or you are partially decentralized. Like you said, I don't I don't remember. I've never you're really just looked. not holding the funds. Right. I haven't really looked into Bancor. Yeah, you could say, um, why? But you know what's interesting too, though, is how are you going to update code? I guess you would have to do it kind of a la Bitcoin. Yeah, this, is a, this is a tough one, man. I'm starting to think we're not going to see truly decentralized exchanges for a while. Yeah, me neither. I just I mean, don't think they, they don't have the security. They don't have the liquidity. There's so many things they don't have. I, I think we'll finally get a real one when Binance does it. But, I mean, we have fully decentralized exchanges. The um, Ether Delta is completely decentralized. Right. There's no, decision, there's no trust there whatsoever. So the point is Bancor but, okay, is not okay, trustless. Okay, but... There was a huge hack with Ether Delta too, and tons of people got money stolen because of how complicated Ether Delta was. Ether Delta's website was hacked. Okay, uh, that that wasn't the Ether Delta <laughs> ecosystem. My entire point here is that Ether Delta probably could have protected the exchange significantly better had they not been a decentralized exchange, and I think that that would have made the customers a lot safer there. Well. Right, but I don't know how much they got away with on Ether Delta, but centralized exchanges have stolen a lot more money from the community than the Ether Delta hack by okay. just being like, eh, see you later, Mount Gox. Well, somebody out there is going to come up with the right way to do this. I think this is just indicative that we're not there yet. Yeah, so to finish the story, Bancor, not trustless, and Switchio, which is the, uh, the Neo decentralized exchange, Came out with an article, which we'll put in the show notes, where they're explaining like how this works. And they're like, you know, the, the funds weren't hacked from the exchange. The funds were hacked from these uh, points of points of failure, which were the liquidity nodes of the people. We don't have that either. So Switchio doesn't have that. They also cannot freeze their chain. But okay. the... But... but uh, wait, 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 wait. Let me finish. But Switchio can freeze trading. They can stop trading. They can't stop you from taking your funds back out. But they can stop trading going back and forth. I'm, I'm okay with the idea of stopping trading. That just means that something goes down. What I don't think is really comparable is to say, let's compare Ether Delta or or an exchange that just focuses on, on NEO tokens. Like At the end of the day, when we're talking about a decentralized exchange, we're talking about being able to exchange tokens that aren't part of the same platform, right? Because honestly, like... I mean, this might be an ignorant thing to say, but when you're just talking about um, something that can trade ERC-20 tokens, to me, that's almost like a like a decentralized application running on Ethereum that's exchanging tokens. So my understanding is that Bancor was trying to do more, and that's why they would need liquidity nodes. So I think it's kind of a pretty ridiculous criticism to say, oh, well, we don't have liquidity nodes. Okay, but you're only trading native tokens from one platform. So you're not even trying to do what these guys are trying to do. I'm definitely not trying to defend Bancor, but... I don't feel it's a fair comparison. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about Bancor to know heads or tails whether they're uh, you know whether whether they're good or not. But I just know that this happened and it didn't make sense for a decentralized exchange's funds to get hacked. Like you couldn't do that to either Delta. All right, guys. So 
I'm definitely looking forward to the time where Binance comes up with their own decentralized exchange. But for the meantime, it looks like they're about to make about a, mi- a billion dollars in 2018. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, it looks like they can actually get to that number, which would be insane. They would surpass a ton of major financial institutions. Uh, CZ told Bloomberg that he expects the minimum profit for 2018 for Binance to be $500 million. And best case scenario, he thinks that they can make as much as $1 billion. They've already made $300 million in the past six months. That's a profit. Yeah, so what he's saying is... what he's saying is these last six months, if we go down by 33%, we'll still hit 500 million. That's pretty impressive. No, exactly. He's like, worst case scenario, we're going to get to 500 million. And look, the, obviously those numbers are insane. They're particularly insane when you remember that Binance is new. I mean, dude, they just turned one year old. Like literally they had their ICO in July. How insane is that? And uh, then there was also this great quote by uh, CZ. Uh, He says, I just checked. Bitcoin price was $2,500 a year ago. Today, it's $6,800. And trading volume for BTC was $780 million a year ago. Today, it's $3.4 billion. Wow. So that definitely shows some significant growth. And I guess since we're on the topic of Binance, oh no, hold on a second. Brent came back. He he disappeared. He had to go pee or something. <laughs> Hi, Brent. Welcome back to the show. Where'd you go? Hey, uh, doing escape key stuff. Ah, okay. Anyway, so I just read the quote about CZ and trading volume going up. The fact that Binance is only a year old, but I see that you had here a little extra annotation. Oh yeah, uh, Binance donated a million dollars to the uh, the victims of the flooding in West Japan. So there was a lot of flooding this week. He, uh, CZ went on Twitter, went crazy about a, or he's just like, look, we're putting a million dollars in this fund. Everybody else should donate to this fund too. We're trying to help Japan because there's, uh, there was at least 60 or 70. I'm, I'm making up numbers, but there was a lot of people that were dead because of it. it. It was more than 40. I, I just don't remember what it was. Anyway. Uh, so Binance continues to do things correctly. Uh, and, it really is. It really blows my mind that we're talking about a company that just turned one. That's just insane to me. Yeah. I would say Binance Coin is probably one of my better calls overall. Um, I was in it pretty early and was really happy to be in it pretty early. So I really see them doing extremely well the rest of the way. As long as they keep up their morals and they understand how powerful they are and don't, you know, take a poker stowers route or something along those lines. Which generally those in centralized positions with a lot of power end up doing because that's their, that is the incentive. Uh, Eventually the incentives get very, very high. I agree with that. Eventually the incentives become extremely high and it becomes significantly harder, especially because they're, they're a reasonably small company. They don't have that many employees. They're always hiring because they're so far behind, but they're making the best of it. So more rake is actually better. (laughs) No, stop. More rake is better. So the SEC won't let me be. <laughs> They're just still hung, Pazza. <laughs> I'm just trying. I don't. I don't know what any. Of, I don't. I don't know what this is. What is the CBOE? Chicago Board of something. Equities, probably. This is electronic traded funds. Yes. All right, Brent. So it looks like the SEC has uh, opened up some public comments. What do we got here? Well, the, the SEC is opening up the public comment period for the a Bitcoin ETF that the CBOE, which is Chicago Board of something. I, I, 
I might have even typoed. C- no, CBOT is the Chicago Board of Trade. But anyway, there it, you can go to the link in the show notes and put a comment about why it is okay for Bitcoin for a Bitcoin ETF to exist. I guess this is a period that whenever there's a new listing on the SEC, they take comments and uh, you get to talk about things. So as long as it's not run by Ajit Pai, then it'll probably be helpful for cryptocurrency in the long run. You just tricked. So get on Side there. Note. And- Aside from the fact that a GPI is a corrupt piece of shit, okay, since you put these news out here, do you know what they just tried to do? They just tried to pass, and on top of the fact that they got rid of net neutrality, the SEC just tried to pass a new rule that says you have to pay two hundred and fifty. You have to pay two hundred and fifty dollars to file a complaint. So if Verizon, who Ajit Pai used to work for, if Verizon charges you an extra $200 on your bill or a Comcast, it literally is minus EV for you to complain to the agency that oversees them. And they got such public outrage that they took it back just yesterday or this morning. And I'm sure they're going to come up with some other stuff. Bro, you know what? Like, you're not supposed to wish harm upon anybody. I wish harm upon Ajit Pai. That corrupt piece of garbage. I can't wait for him to be out of office. And I hope that they find all the whatever emails or conversations he's had because I can't. Oh, let's forget it. Let's just move on. Do you hope he burns in hell? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Um. Oh, man, that's tough just because hell doesn't exist. So I would rather <laughs> I would rather wish some kind of real suffering here. No, listen. Yeah, he's just like he's just like floating in space for eternity, like with no hope for Look, I not being in prison. All kidding aside, when I say I wish some kind of suffering, I'm talking about either jail time or at least public shaming. Obviously, I don't wish real, real harm on another human being, but this guy is a piece of human garbage. Krim, I have to let you know your pink headphones are pretty sweet. By oh yeah, the way. they're Paulus. Thank you. They're, they're a nice touch. <laughs> they they fit your head very properly. Oh, yeah. So it's... you have a very feminine physique and. You should definitely always buy women's headphones. When and we're, we're jealous. Thanks, guys. I feel great. <laughs> All right, Kareem. So uh, enough tickling your behind. Let's go over to the uh, JP Morgan internal reports. What are they looking like? Well, as we know, JP Morgan has publicly only said bad things about crypto, that it's terrible, and you know, Jamie Dimon thinks it's awful and a scam or whatever. Well, the internal report... Uh, from JP Morgan that they commissioned on cryptocurrency actually said it concluded that Ripple, these are the ones they actually name Ripple, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Dash, and Litecoin are here to stay. It makes a couple other predictions that prices are going to continue to fluctuate uh, wildly and that they're going to face a lot of volatility. They say that blockchain appears to have a promising future once certain loopholes are fixed. Real cutting edge stuff here, guys, by the way. This is the kind of <laughs> JP. What year this is this? This is the kind of research that uh, the JP Morgan market cap can can yield. And lastly, I thought this part was pretty that, cool. They missed EOS. Oh, yeah, they did. And lastly, they said that investors would continue to invest in blockchain because of its decentralization and that peer-to-peer networks are going to continue to thrive. Now, a lot of the articles that I read on this did make a big deal about the contradiction. They're like, oh, you know, this this contradicts JP Morgan's public position and all that. And I guess the only thing I'll say about that is we're talking about a big organization. So the the people who are commissioned to do this research, whether they work for JP Morgan or their contractors, are not necessarily the executives up top. So just because 
the executive said, okay, I want you to do a report on this. And the report came back with maybe something they didn't want to hear or whatever. It doesn't really, I don't know. Like, I don't feel like it's a massive contradiction because we don't know who actually wrote this report. But it is good to know that even the internal reports of the bank are saying crypto's here to stay, blockchain is the real deal, and decentralization and peer-to-peer networks are going to continue to become more and more prevalent. Yep, least least surprising thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yep. Good. All right, let's Good move on. journalism. Let's move on to the crypto around the world. All right, Kareem, looks like Europe's largest trader of ETFs is moving into crypto. What's the story all about? Yeah, their name is Flow Traders NV. They're an Amsterdam-based speed trader. And what we mean by uh, speed trader is they are they engage in what's called high-frequency trade. So that's a type of trading that uses algorithms and is characterized by really high speeds, high turnover rates, and high order-to-trade ratios. So they're they're literally just trying to squeeze out small edges, making these lightning fast trades, and they're just putting in massive volume using financial data and electronic tools that us humble peasants do not have. Now, this company in particular has been making markets uh, based on Ethereum and Bitcoin. Uh, and even though there are five major US speed traders Um, that have been making markets in crypto futures. This is the largest European-based one that's entering the market. The CEO of this company, his name is Dennis Dijkstra. And all I could think about was The Witcher because there's a character on The Witcher named Dijkstra. So that's cool. Anyway, he said the following, quote, people underestimate crypto. It's big and and it is to be regulated very soon. The market participants are much more professional than people think, and institutional investors are interested. We know because we are getting the requests. Now, the enthusiasm towards crypto is not shared by the regulatory agencies in Holland. So the Dutch Authority for the Financial Markets, which is the AFM, they sent out their spokeswomen, and she said the following. You guys are going to love this quote. Quote, We discourage activities in cryptos, both by consumers and professional license holders. By virtue of its newness and the anonymity it potentially offers, it is very prone to abuse. Given its inability to serve the promised purpose as a currency, we don't regard it to be an asset class. So I love that because it's saying nobody should use it because it's new, first of all. Anonymity is bad. And since it's not a currency, it's not an asset class at all. All right. Great stuff. Yeah. Hard yeah. And uh, Hey, guys, we got plenty more time to buy. Don't worry. Yeah. Well, and but look, the main point here is institutional investments, right? And this is the largest high-frequency trader in Europe. And this goes hand-in-hand hand with the fact that Goldman Sachs recently is uh, setting up a digital asset trading desk. Uh, Barclays agreed to provide UK banking services for Coinbase. So we're seeing more and more expansion. We're seeing more and more acceptance, whatever. You know, we're just going to keep updating you as crypto becomes more and more popularized. And it's just a reminder that we mentally have to distinguish between the current price of cryptos and the adoption or popularity or institutional investment or interest, right? So yes, crypto has been declining massively uh, over the last six months. But that doesn't mean that interest has been declining massively. And as we mentioned earlier from that quote from CZ, 
Bitcoin price a year ago was $2,500. We're looking at $6,800 today. And the trading volume, which is arguably much more important, was $780 million a year ago. And today is $3.4 billion. So this space is growing just because the bubble of irrational exuberance burst doesn't mean that the, that the space itself has hit a wall. Yes, agreed. All accounts. Here, here. I mean, this is one of those. This is one of those stories that Kareem does such a good job on that I'm just like, man, you're just like, I just like to listen to you. <laughs> Yay, um, Kareem. I, I mean, like really, it's happy. And listen to happy, Kareem. Thanks, Kareem. De nada. Alrighty, Brent. Looks like India has gone back and forth on blockchain. What else is happening? So there was some definite bad news out of India. I th- I think we even covered it last week. I can't remember, but. On July 5th, there was a big uh, deadline that passed, and they're going to be shutting down the cryptocurrency uh, exchanges or banks or whatever is working there in India. But at the same time, an anonymous government official was quoted, but required to remain anonymous. I don't think anyone is really thinking of banning it, cryptocurrencies, altogether. The issue here is about regulating the trade, and we need to know where the money is coming from. Allowing it as a commodity may let us better regulate trade so that is being looked at. An anonymous source from the, their government is basically saying, no, it's not gone for good. Like, we're just shutting it down for now until we can do some regulations. Sounds like maybe, maybe somebody's acquiring some crypto in, in, uh, <laughs> in India. Like, literally, yeah, to me, that's what I mean, that looks like, like. I really hate the fact that every time one of these, you know, government members like opens their mouth that we have to consider what their motivations really are. This sounds another this sounds like another one of the classic examples that's like, oh yeah, we're not sure about this whole thing. So just wait a little bit and let us make sure we know all about it. We get as much as we want. And then that way then you guys can get let in afterwards. Yep. And now that we have all our crypto, we're good to go. So yeah. You know, whatever. We don't know what's going to happen in India, but I would say in the future we probably hear that India is good. They're going to allow it. It's all ha- it's all happy and dandy. And at the same time, we're also going to find out that either privately or publicly, they're, they're a liquidity uh, government officials <laughs> own yeah coins. So definitely interesting. And uh, you want to move over to these twelve Korean exchanges that uh, that that passed security test? Sure. We'll end this crypto around the world section with. <laughs> there's always some random. Korean FUD, like, oh, they're going to kill all the Korean exchanges. Oh, we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to do that. Well, the Korean exchanges, all 12 of them that were reviewed by the security, by the their internal government security force, whatever you want to call that, uh, were all approved. So Dexco, Neoframe, Upbit, Bithum, Gopax, OKCoin Korea, Corbit, CoinOne, CoinJest, CoinPlug, Handbit, Wobi Korea, all good to go. And they're all going to be opening new commercial bank accounts uh, as a result in the coming weeks. So all good news out of Korea for the Korean exchanges. Cannot initiate Korean FUD. Sounds like good news to me. Anything else you want to add, Kareem? No. Hooray for Asia, India, Korea. Let's do it. Let's move on to the mailbag section. Yeah. Crip basic. Flags your Friday. You listen to the mailbag drop where we break down a member's thoughts. Just starting crypto, don't you stop? 
keep this until you hit the spot. All righty, from Briggy Dam on Monday. Hey guys, I'm curious as to your opinion of the emergence of trade-driven mining. Exchanges like Fcoin, which has bogged the Ethereum network, and Coinex. They seem to have a humongous Ponzi scheme that's going to explode in the next few months. Can't remember if you've already covered it, but I figured I'd ask nonetheless, gentlemen, your response. I'll take this. Yes. I'll take this. All right, here we go. Spoiler time. Before we recorded this episode, we recorded a 101 on Fcoin because they are absolutely a scam. We want you to stay as far away from Fcoin as possible. And anything that is using the Fcoin model should absolutely not be touched. That's and it is very bad. So I we didn't actually look into any of the other ones. We looked at Fcoin because it's kind of the mm, one that's, that's a scam. Out of mind right that's now. a scam. Yeah, literally, that's literally. We recorded the episodes coming out on Monday. You can learn exactly why and how. Stay very far away. Couple updates for that episode. Number one, I think it'll make sense when you listen to the episode. It is much more likely that the guy that we Googled is the same guy that we that we're talking oh, yeah. about in the episode. We weren't After sure. we finished recording, we we went into like a twenty minute all right, so unfortunately, guys, I'm not going to be on that episode, and I was not a part of it because I'm currently in California. We started recording at 8 a.m. my time, so they did the F-Coin episode before I woke up, and then the first thing, the only thing that they, they wanted me to check on <laughs> was were these two people the same person? They sent me two pictures of an Asian man, and my opinion was it was possibly the same person but i don't blame anybody that doesn't think it's the same person and it's funny because brent and i have a really long history of him mixing people up with the same culture for no reason at all and it's fucking awesome so hey that <laughs> one was, thing that, we that did was mention. my touch on f coin so in the in the episode basically the guy who founded that coin is mentioned in an article as being the self-proclaimed future richest man in the world and th the names are the same so we weren't sure how common the name was right and Kareem was scrolling through like the seven reasons and he got to reason seven, which was like he made a group of women shave their heads as part of his coin company. Now, we weren't sure coin. that coin meant crypto. No, yeah, yeah I did. Like, no, we weren't I was. sure that it meant that was, crypto at the time. What else could it mean? He had he had his own fiat I, currency. Maybe he's like a coin collector. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. But <laughs> the one before it specifically said promoting his own currency. Yeah. We're now fairly certain that the guy who runs this F coin exchange has proclaimed that he will be the richest person on earth in the future and has been like arrested for scamming I, people before. I so, don't know like, that we're fairly certain. Away. I mean, for me, fairly certain is a assurance rate of 90% or higher. I'm fairly certain. Yeah, but you might not be. I'm going to say I'm going to say my my unbiased opinion. I would say it's about a 65% chance of the same guy and 35% chance. Yeah, I was I was um look I have to boost up the numbers just because this is a crypto guy and he's in Asia and he's running Ponzi schemes. So I mean that that all of that puts it at like 70. The pictures don't convince me. Brent's really mad at me. He thinks I'm afraid of being a racist because he doesn't look the same in both pictures and according to Brent Every Asian person looks the same. So the fact that I even said that they might not look the same <laughs> is completely like blasphemy. It's funny. That <laughs> but look, 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 I it, mean, it's there, tough. Your brain recognizes certain things in people. Your brain looks for certain things, certain features on people's faces. 
The glasses were totally different, but that's not a big deal. The hair was very different. The skin tone was the biggest I mean, one. Like, he definitely the, had a and tan. Then I, I wanted to save that one for last, but the, the shade of the skin is, like, several shades you know different. What? And we should look, do a poll. I, I'm actually fairly tan right now, so I look several shades different. So it's, like, possible that that's gonna, that, that still can be him, but I just think that it's Brent, fair to leave open Can we do, like, a Twitter not. poll or a Discord poll where we just put up the picture that we found with the other picture, the one, whichever picture you think most looks like the guy, we just put them side by side and we just ask people, is this the same person, yes or no? And that's it. So I have a real hard time telling people apart of any race. <laughs> any race, including including white. Uh, this I think is so I have, true, like, by the way. Like, Mike will tell me, like, yeah, that's that guy. And I'm like, what are you talking? That's that guy? Like, I, I, I have a real hard time figuring out I don't know. Like my brain does not process people's faces that I haven't Brent, seen a lot. I, I can well, probably so. figure out what this is. Your brain works way faster than the rest of ours, so your brain makes a lot of assumptions. It just like sees people and it's like whatever. That's that person. And it just like zoom just goes on. Like I don't know. But here's what here's what I will say. I'm willing to do the research, Kareem. You think it's seventy percent? I'm willing to take the over on seventy percent. Will you give me four to one on a bet that this is the guy? Are you retarded? How is that four to one? Well, he's 80, saying 20. he'll take 80-20. 80-20. He's giving you a better end. He's trying to give you a little bit, which is a good tactic that I use when I try to make bets. I like to take their number <sighs> and just push it a little bit more in their favor and Look, then, make, just, then ask them to put know, their money where their I mouth is. I know that there's... Okay, so I'm conflicted here because on the one hand, I know there's a lot of people in Asia. On the other hand, how many people <laughs> can there be? There's a lot of them that do actually that look are like Ponzi scheme masters of cryptocurrencies. Like that, that that has to be a slightly smaller percentage of people. So if it's point zero 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 one percent of Asians that are in that group, that's only like a hundred billion people. So <laughs> no, I won't give you four to one. However, I will tease. I meant the other way. Lay four yeah, to one. Obviously. The- I will tease the fact, though, that we did make a bet. So this is our second official bet on the Crypto Basic Podcast, which made me think we should have on our website a second. You know how we have portfolio contests and everything? We should have Crypto Basic bets with, like, the bet, the expiration date, and the, you know. What was the first one? We should also probably find somebody who knows how to put that on the website. That would be, that would oh, be big. I, I thought <laughs> I was talking to our IT guy. Damn it. Yeah. Oh, you are. I just don't know how to do anything. So, <laughs> all right, I'll I'll put it on there. I'll figure it out. All right. So, uh, very briefly, we're just moving to the rant sections. The last last thing we're going to cover before we go. But I wanted to mention that uh, earlier in this episode, when CZ was discussing the year that Bitcoin has had from a year ago to now, that actually got me thinking. I remember purchasing my first Bitcoin right around twenty five hundred dollars. So I've been busy this month. And I decided to go back into my Coinbase account. And I've just passed, last month, I did pass my one-year anniversary of this Bitcoin journey. So it's it's interesting. It's complicated. I'm glad to be here. I'm happy. <laughs> so happy. No, but, but thank you, guys. And uh, I do also just want to mention that I've had an incredible vacation. I should be home pretty soon to get caught up and get involved a little more. But... Uh, Arizona, California has been amazing. Michigan, Maryland, it's it's been quite a month for me. So I highly recommend using your time wisely, folks. All right, that'll do it for the Crypto Basic Podcast. My name was Mike. I was here with Brent and Kareem. Thanks again for tuning in. 
The members of the Crypto Basic the Podcast outro. are about to play the outro. <laughs> and then, hold on. The members of the Crypto Basic Podcast are not financial advisors. Their IT man is an idiot. Their co-host is an idiot. Yeah, everybody's an idiot. Oh, wait, no. Didn't we change it to fools? The greater fools. Fools.